you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. We're going to talk about the voice of God today. And I kind of want to ask you, have you ever heard the voice of God? Would you know how to recognize it when you heard it? What does the voice of God sound like? I would give you a quick Bible story to help to explain the voice of God. This comes from the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. And in this Bible story, there is a great prophet from the Old Testament. A guy who has watched what's happening in his country and it's breaking his heart. His people have stopped listening to the voice of God. They've started listening to other voices around them to the point that they can no longer hear God's voice. Because they have been so in tuned to hearing other voices. This prophet by the name of Elijah decides this can't continue. He decides something has to change. And so he calls for a showdown quite literally on the Mount of Carmel. Bring all of the prophets of the false gods Baal. All 450 of them. Have them meet me on the mountain. And by the way, while you're at it, why don't you ask for the 400 prophets from the false idol Asherah to meet me on the mountain. He gets all of Israel together and he says, which one is really God? Which one speaks? Which one still moves? If it's Baal, then worship Baal. But if it's the God of the Bible, then worship him. And Elijah throws down the gauntlet and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a sacrifice, a sacrifice to the false idol Baal, a sacrifice to the God of the Bible, and we're going to see which God still speaks, which God still moves today. One man challenges 450, at least 450 false prophets, maybe 850. And after taunting, and after this raw display of power, after the fire of God falls in front of the people of Israel, Elijah says, the God of the Bible, he is God. Now you go grab those false prophets, and you go kill them for speaking a lie and for false prophecy. Elijah makes the first lady of the land very mad. She puts a death threat out for Elijah. And now Elijah's on the run. Quite literally, he's hiding in a, in a cave in the mountain. And Elijah is running for his life. And he starts to pray. And when he prays, the fire of God falls on this mountain. And if you were to go back and read 1 Kings, it's an awesome display of power. But the Bible says the voice of God was not in the fire. Elijah's in a cave. Picture this in your mind for just a second. There's an earthquake on the mountain. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake, but it would be pretty terrifying to be in a cave on a mountain during an earthquake. But the voice of God is not in the In the earthquake. And finally a wind so strong that it's about to split the rocks in two. And the voice of God is not in the wind. And if you know the Bible story. In the midst of all of this chaos happening around them. Elijah hears a whisper. What the Bible calls a still small voice. A very small voice. And Elijah covers his head. And he comes out of the cave. 
And the Lord speaks to him in this whisper, in a small small voice. If you have the kind of life right now where everything is going chaotic, everything is going crazy around you, and today you're saying, Jeff, I need to hear from the Lord today, well, I want to give you a challenge. And here it is on the screens. This is what I want you to hear from the Bible today. When we open up the Bible and we look at Amos chapter 2, don't be so busy that you miss it. Don't be so preoccupied that you skip over this still small voice from God, the voice that Elijah was able to hear when he was on the mountainside. Today, we're going to learn a little bit about prophecy. And in order to help you understand a little bit about prophecy, we're going to go back and we're going to learn about this prophet Amos. Amos is just a regular dude like you. He is a sheep breeder. He actually comes from a region called Tekoa. It's what you see on the screens. It's circled in yellow. Tekoa is this um, ranching land in Judah just a few miles south of Bethlehem. Everything in pink to the north is called Samaria or sometimes referred to as Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Amos is just doing his job. Amos is just breeding sheep. And all of a sudden, God pokes on Amos's heart and starts to show Amos about what's happening in the land around him. And first, God speaks to Amos And like it normally happens, when God starts to speak to a person, Amos can't get this voice out of his heart. And then pretty soon, God starts to speak through this man, Amos. God starts to speak to the nations around him. When you hear the word prophecy, I want you to think two things in your mind. Look up here for just a second. Sometimes prophecy refers to telling people what's going to happen ahead of time. That's called foretelling prophecy. But often in the Bible, prophecy is the second part. It's forthtelling. It's telling people what is happening and how God feels about what's happening right now. In the book of Amos, you see them both. You see God tell Amos how he feels about what's happening right now and what he's going to do in the future because of it. Just a quick note, I think sometimes when you read about this gift of prophecy in the New Testament, I think it is much more often when God speaks about to, through a person about how he feels right now, rather than telling people what's going to happen in the future. God speaks. He speaks to his people, and sometimes we can be so preoccupied that we miss it. And so I got a couple of challenges for us today when God is trying to communicate with his people. And here's the first challenge. Don't ghost God. Don't be the kind of person that just blows off the text, doesn't return the phone calls when God is reaching out to us and God is trying to get our attention. Because in the Old Testament, God often tries to get the attention of his people through a prophet. What we learned last week is God chose this really unusual guy, a guy just like you, to go be his mouthpiece to all of the nations around him. That takes a lot of courage when you're talking to some really powerful kings and criticizing foreign armies. Today, it takes even more courage. Because today, Amos is going to talk to his own friends, his own countrymen. 
is going to talk to his own brothers. And he's going to tell them how God feels about what they're doing. Now I want you to hear how God is trying to communicate with his people. This is Amos chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 4. Listen to what God says to his people today. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Judah for three crimes, even four, because they have rejected the instructions of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. The lies that their ancestors followed have led them astray. Therefore, here's what I'm going to do in the future. I will send fire against Judah. And it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. Those words are literal when God makes that announcement. The end of verse 5. You see, Amos is just doing his job. Amos is just breeding sheep. And all of a sudden, God comes to him and God speaks to this man. And if you missed our first uh, message in this Bible book, I need you to go back yesterday or last week and listen to that broadcast. Because last week, we started in Amos 1.1 and we went all the way to Amos chapter 2, verse 3. Six different announcements to six different cities and countries completely surrounding Israel. And Amos explained, God knows what's going on. God understands how bad you've treated his people. And God's not going to stand for it forever. He will respond. I broke, uh, I ended that sermon last week on purpose at verse 3. Because today, God speaks to Israel and to Judah. And if you were to go compare what you hear today from last week, you would notice something very different. You see, to these foreign armies, God criticizes the way that they treated Israel. God criticizes the kings for their actions. But in Israel, in Judah, God criticizes them for the condition of their heart. You need to understand that God judges these people, the people of Judah, based on their relationship. God is saying, I'm I'm trying to communicate with you. And it looks like you just don't want to hear from me. In fact, instead of, this is what he's saying today, instead of listening to my voice, you've been listening to lies. And because you keep listening to lies, eventually you don't even know how to hear my voice. And when I try to speak to you, you can't hear it. You can't understand it. Notice, God is saying, I gave my children an unprecedented relationship with me, and I wanted to be close to them. I wanted to hear from them, and I wanted to talk to them. And here's what you did. You ghosted me. If you don't know what this phrase means, I got teenagers living at home. I have to ask them how to describe this. It's basically when you blow off the text messages of somebody who keeps trying to call you, you know, y'all, that telemarketer who says, we've been trying to reach you for weeks about the, in- about the warranty on your vehicle that's about to expire. Well, it's one thing to blow off that phone call. Would y'all admit? It is a totally different thing to blow off a phone call or a text message from your spouse. You don't treat that kind of communications like you do a telemarketer. And what God is saying is, You would treat your spouse different than a total stranger. 
I would expect you to listen to me. I would expect you to hear from me and to respond to my voice. This is the relationship above every other relationship that you should be willing to hear from and willing to respond to. And this is the relationship that you blew off. You see, what God is really criticizing Judah for is not her actions. He's criticizing the people, Amos's neighbors and Amos's own cousins, for the condition of their heart. When I wanted to talk to you, you weren't willing to listen. And the reason you couldn't hear my voice is because you were too busy listening to lies. And when I tried to give you the truth, you couldn't hear it. You see, Amos would have been a great representative of two cities. He is a guy that's just living his life and doing his job when God speaks to him. And then all of a sudden, God not only speaks to him, but God speaks through him. When you hear the name Two Cities, when you see that logo, I need you to understand what that name represents. It's saying that those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ are living in two cities at the exact same time. Our first and our most important responsibility is to be good citizens of the city of God, to hear from our Father, and to listen to what He has to say, to be willing to hear His voice. But we don't just live waiting for heaven. We also live in a second city. We live in this city here on earth. And while we're here, we're supposed to make an impact for the people around us. In fact, if you look at that logo, we're trying to help people that are living in the city of darkness become citizens of two cities as well. To go from the city of darkness to the city of light. And belong both to the city of God and the city of man at the same time until God calls his children home. Amos is just breeding sheep and just doing his job. When God says, Amos, can I tell you how I feel about your brothers? Can I show you how I feel about what's happening in your neighborhood, Amos? And when Amos feels God stepping on his chest and hears from God, he can't sit on it anymore. He's got to speak out and be and, and announce a very unpopular message. Hey, y'all, you have ghosted God. And pretty soon, it's going to be too late to hear his voice. That's Amos's message to Judah in the south. But God also wants Amos to communicate to Israel in the north. And here's what he wants Israel, God's children in the north, to hear. You've been living in lust. I wanted your heart, but you couldn't hear uh, from me. You couldn't hear me in your heart because your heart was already preoccupied with something else. Listen, when you all hear the Bible word lust, it often refers to something of the flesh, sexual desire, but it's not always that. In fact, sometimes the word lust just refers to a thing that has your heart and it has got all of your attention. There's a good example of this in the Bible in uh, the book of Colossians chapter 3 where the word lust is associated with idolatry and impurity and adultery. And sometimes we lust after things that we're not supposed to have. 
Sometimes it's lusting after a married man or a married woman, or sometimes you're lusting after something that's illegal. But oftentimes, if we're, if we're honest, what we lust after, what our hearts really long for, is stuff that's not necessarily off limits. It's just never supposed to be that important. It's maybe a big promotion, and it's got all of your attention. Or wait, maybe it's fame. And you post that picture on social media that nobody else in the world should see but your spouse. And you do it because you're addicted to the likes and all of the responses that come along with it. Your heart is lusting after something that is taking the place of God. We all have a heart that will quickly start to lust after something that it's not supposed to. If we're not really, really careful about it. Now, I want you to listen to the list of lust from God's own children in Israel to the north in Amos chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Because here's what the Lord says to Amos's cousins living up north. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Israel for three crimes, even four. And here they are. They sell a righteous person for silver and a needy person for a pair of sandals. They trample the heads of the poor on the dust of the ground and obstruct, obstruct the path of the needy. They're basically taking advantage of people because they're lusting after money and they can't get enough of it. So they'll hurt or abuse people around them or all that their heart can think about is money. But it gets worse. Because a man, will ha a man and his father will have sexual relations with the same girl profaning my holy name. And then they'll stretch out beside every altar on garments taken as collateral. And in the house of their God, they drink wine obtained through fines. Basically, what God is listing here is your heart is twisted and it's running after money. Or perhaps it's twisted and it can only think about sex. Or maybe it's alcohol or some kind of temporary high. And that's all that you can think about. And your heart keeps rushing after it. And until the heart changes, the actions are not going to change. And God is saying, I really wanted to be the thing that preoccupies your heart. But your heart's full with something else. And so it can't hear from me. In the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, this word lust, as I said a moment ago, it's associated with impurity. It's associated with idolatry, worshiping false idols. It's associated with adultery, having somebody who you're not married to. And then the Bible says this next in Colossians 3, verse 5. Fascinating what it says next. It says, put to death the desires of the flesh. It's using war language. And it's basically saying every Christian is in a gunfight. And somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. Somebody's going to live. Somebody's going to die. And the only way to really tackle lust is to treat it like this thing is going to kill me. It's like a massive heart attack. It's going to kill me if I don't protect my heart from it. So Colossians is challenging Christians. You got to kill lust before lust kills you. Because all of us have this heart that is an 
idol factory and it will start to turn any created thing into an idol if we're not careful. Colossians says it this way. If you're not killing the desires of the flesh, then eventually the desires of the flesh can kill you. And here's what I just want to challenge you to do. I need to do this. You probably need to do this tomorrow morning when you wake up, before your feet even hit the floor, before you get out of bed. Just simply admit something to God that he already knows. Hey, God, I need your help today because I know my heart. And I know my heart will start to chase after something that it's not supposed to chase after. And it will put that in your place. So Holy Spirit, I need your help today. I need your help to help me kill what's inside of me so that you can live in its place. Because if I don't put it to death, then you don't live in its place. And God, I need your help today. So before I even hit the floor and before I even take off running, would you help me put this heart of mine in check? God, here it is. Here's my heart. It's twisted and it's wicked and I need your help to keep this heart pure and to keep this heart holy. That is a prayer that most of us need to pray every morning before your feet hit the floor because that prayer is the prayer that protects you before you end up going down a road that you really have no business going down. That's the prayer that helps you put to death the desires of the flesh. Here's how the chapter ends, God's final announcement to the nation of Israel to the north. And the real sin is not just that you blew me off. You ghosted me when I tried to get in your attention. You didn't want to hear from me. It wasn't just that your heart was full and that you had no room for me because your heart was already chasing after other things because you were lusting after other things. The real sin here is that you rejected the relationship, not a relationship. This is the relationship. When you rejected a relationship with Jesus, the language that the Bible is using with a relationship with Jesus is covenant language. We don't use that word covenant very often. It usually only shows up in a marriage ceremony. It is a solemn vow for life. And if I don't live up to my end of the vow, then why don't you go ahead and kill me? God enters into a covenant with his people. And God wants his people to respect this covenant. And instead, in Amos chapter 2, they broke their end of the covenant. Let's pick up in verse 9. Just cruise through to the rest of the chapter. Here's what God's words are to Israel. Hey, Israel, let me remind you what I did for you. Amos 2 verse 9. Yet I destroyed the Amorite. As Israel advanced, his height was like the cedars. He was as sturdy as the oak. I destroyed his fruit above his and his roots beneath. I brought you from the land of Egypt and I led you 40 years in the wilderness in order to possess the land of the Amorites. God is saying, you thought that you accomplished all of this on your own? Let me remind you when I delivered your ancestors out of slavery in Egypt. Let me remind you when I led them through the desert. Let me remind you when they entered the promised land, they were outmatched and outgunned at every possible level. 
and I gave them victory everywhere. And then they took that victory and they turned it into a license to live however they wanted. They blew me off. And so I wanted to get their attention and this is what I did next. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. If you don't recognize that word Nazarite, it's a guy who walked through the land and by his very appearance, you could tell this was a holy man. They weren't able to touch the dead. They weren't able to drink any wine. They weren't able to cut their beards. They all looked like the crazy guys on Duck Dynasty. And everybody knew that these guys were different. These guys represented God. I raised up some of your young men as Nazarites. Is this not the case, Israelites? Listen to what God says next. This is the Lord's declaration. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, do not prophesy. Those words basically say, we don't want to hear from God anymore. Look, I'm about to crush you. As a, a crush you in your place, as a wagon crushes when full of grain, escape will fail the swift, and the strong will the strong one will not maintain his strength, and the warrior will not save his life. Israel, you thought that because you had a strong, powerful army, you were protected from your enemies, but that's not the case. I was protecting you, and you were trusting in your armies. So now I'm going to take away the very thing that you were trusting in. And when you don't have the thing that you are trusting in anymore, now you are totally vulnerable. The archer will not stand his ground. And the one who is swift of foot will not save himself. And the one riding on the horse will not save his life. Even the most courageous of warriors will flee naked on that day. This is the Lord's declaration. Israel... I was calling to you. And Israel, I was trying to get your attention. Israel, I led you through the wilderness and I tried to have this intimate relationship with you and you didn't want it. In fact, you started trusting in your armies. I gave your armies victory when they went to war against the Amorites, people that were much bigger and much stronger. I gave them victory. And you started trusting in your armies instead of me. So I'm going to take your armies away from you. I sent people to speak to you and to try to get your attention so that you would hear my voice and you didn't want to listen to them anymore. And so now I'm going to send foreign armies to invade you. And I'm going to get your attention. But it's going to hurt really, really bad. God is reminding his people, I entered into a covenant with you. And that covenant said, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will speak to you and you will listen and I will bless you. But if you break your end of the bargain, all of the things that happen to foreign armies around you, I will do this to you. In just a moment, we're going to take communion as a church. And this communion that we do as a church, when the people of God take communion, it is really reaffirming the covenant with God. It is saying that God paid for my price with blood. He used the blood of his son Jesus. He used the body of his son Jesus to make me right with him. That's how much God loves me. That's how much God wants to be in a relationship with me. And God asks me to surrender in, in return. 
And the surrender that he's asking for from me is to lay it all down. Body, soul, present, future, to turn it all over to God in return. And sometimes we can get our attention, even though God has purchased us and entered into a relationship with us, sometimes we can, our attention can get turned somewhere else to the point that we no longer can hear from the voice of God. We no longer remember what it took in order for our sins to be made right. So I want to challenge us. I want to challenge somebody who's watching this today, maybe at home, and you're realizing for the first time, uh uh-oh, I have done the very thing that the book of Amos chapter 2 describes. I've been that guy who has turned my attention to someone or to something else instead of giving God the attention that it deserves. I haven't been able to hear from God lately. It's maybe because my heart has been somewhere else. What I'm going to pray for you in just a moment is the number two thing on the screen, that maybe tomorrow when you get up before your feet even get out of bed, you would say, God, I need your help to kill lust tomorrow so that it doesn't kill me. And maybe it's not lusting after something physical. Maybe it's lusting after fame or fortune or family, whatever it is. Maybe there's some of you that are saying, God, would you help me to just be still enough that I can hear that still small voice and not skip right over it? Because God, you know me. You know how crazy busy my schedule is. And if I'm not careful, my schedule will get so consumed that I don't hear your voice because I'm running at a million miles an hour. I'm going to pray that in just a moment, you would make a commitment, God, this week, I want you to speak to me, and I'm going to slow down enough that I can hear your voice. But perhaps somebody needs to step across the line of faith for the first time. Maybe what you really need is a heart transformation. You need a new heart. And you need to ask the Lord to take away this heart of stone and to give you a heart of flesh, to make a dead soul alive for the first time. Listen, I'm going to pray for you, and wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, I'm going to invite you to pray. There's no magic in these words. But when they come from a sincere heart, please listen to me. God hears it. And if you're willing to be quiet enough to hear it, God will speak to you, often in a still, small voice, instead of roaring and thundering from heaven. Let's pray together. Father, you and you alone know the condition of the human heart. So God, maybe you know if somebody's watching this stream right now, maybe they're in a hotel room and they're on the road, maybe they're struggling with temptation and you brought them across this broadcast just so that you could speak to them today. Maybe they've been trying to figure things out on their own, trying to be a good person, trying to work hard to earn your permission or earn your approval. And maybe for the first time ever, it's starting to make sense. I can't work hard enough to earn my way into heaven. If I could work hard enough, there would be no need for Jesus to make a blood sacrifice to give his life up for my sin. And God, maybe what you're doing right now is calling a man or a woman to turn from their sins 
and to trust you as Savior for the first time. Father, would you help them to just cry out a sincere prayer of faith, whatever those words are, something that sounds similar to this. God, I'm a sinner, and I can't fix my heart. I need you to do a miracle inside of me. I need you to fix my heart. God, I don't want to live like this anymore because I've made a mess of my life. And so right here I am. I'm here to worship you, and my sacrifice that I'm giving you today, God, is my heart. Would you change it? Would you turn me into a new man or a new woman from the inside out? God, would you hear that heart or that cry from heaven? God, would you respond by doing a supernatural work in their heart, turning a dead soul and making it alive for the first time? Father, I also lift up to you Christians who are going to struggle tomorrow and the next day and the day after that with the temptations and the desires around us. And some of those desires may even be good things, but they can cross a line and start to take over more of our heart than they're supposed to have. So, God, would you help us tomorrow to be radically dependent on your Holy Spirit and to say, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me live a life that rises above temptation and desire and doesn't give in to all of the images that I see around me. Father, more than anything else, I'm just asking that you would speak to your people, that they would hear your voice, and when they hear your voice, that they would heed your voice this week. God, be glorified by the way that your people are surrendering to you and humbling themselves before you right now. It's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.